Welcome back, y'all. This is another Monday Minnesota of NBA. I am your host, Jake Elas, a.k.a. Jamal Hashburn, a.k.a. I just came up with this the other day, Death Left Shrimp. Uh, today, I have a special guest from the Brew Hoop uh, blog via SB Nation. Mr. Adam Paris is here to talk Milwaukee Bucks, um, the, the team that is just north of my Chicago Bulls, um, and all the news that just recently happened um, on their end, um, and just their season review. So, Adam, welcome to NBA. Hey, thanks for having me, Jay. I uh, feel uh, feel poorly underprepared that I didn't know you were a Bulls fan. I don't know if I would have accepted this. If I had known that right before that, but uh, no, 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 I always keep it to close to the vest. I always keep it as close to the vest as possible. Um, well, cool, man. So, Adam, I wanted you have had you. I wanted to have you on this podcast, uh, being that you are uh, a, con- a contributor and, and one of the major contributors to the the blog, and also somebody who's an avid Milwaukee Bucks fan. Um, to talk about this season, and it's been an interesting season, nonetheless, um, with some major storylines leading into the season. Um, first and foremost, you know, Jabari Parker recovering once again from a knee injury um, and really a lot of questions around his future with the team and, and how that's going to go. And then also kind of the ascendance of, you know, Giannis into this next uh, upper echelon superstar level. So talk to me a little bit about kind of going into this season, what some of the expectations were and maybe where you as a, as a Bucks fan uh, kind of saw the team uh, going this season. Right. So, so coming into the year, it was interesting. I think people had the highest hopes they've had in, in a few years here. Giannis seemed to be sort of tapping on that MVP ceiling last year. A couple people voted him top five or so. Um, but I think, uh, you know, this was espoused at the opening press conferences before the season even started uh, was a lot of players were aiming for 50 wins. They wanted to hit 50 wins. Bucks have only done that, you know, basically uh, one time, I think in the last 25 years or so, um, it was that 01 team. So it's been a, a long, long period of mediocrity here. So hitting that plateau would be more than enough for Bucks fans. But uh, unfortunately, as most of us know, it, it certainly didn't go that way as is usually the case with this team. But um, I think the, the probably the strangest part too was you know Jason Kidd, who obviously came into this year as as the head coach, and uh, Bucks fans have been pretty uh, were pretty upset at him for for several years. He had very strange choices in his tactics. He had this the, the, you know this hyperactive defensive scheme that seemed like it had flamed out a couple years ago, but uh, he, he just was sticking to it stubbornly, almost uh, sort of mirroring his personality as a player too. Uh, and he seemed to have sort of similar high expectations for this team. So it was really uh, jarring when halfway through the year, he seemed to sort of go back on that, fall back on uh, the idea that this team was too young. You know, these players are still learning when, um, you know, in reality, they've been together a couple of years now. You know, Giannis is still young, but I mean, he's, you know, he's 23. He's been in the league five years. Um, you know, Chris Middleton is, you know, 25, 26. It's, you know, so a, a lot of people were pretty upset when, Jason Kidd seemed to just completely go back on the preseason expectations. And I think that's one of the reasons ultimately that he, uh, that he got fired is um, this team had higher expectations went even higher when they traded early in the season for Eric Bledsoe. And uh, when he didn't seem up to the task or, or willing or able to deliver those at all, the, uh, you know, the organization parted ways. So I want to dig into the Eric Bledsoe thing a little bit here. Cause I know when the trade mm-hmm. went down initially, there was a lot of excitement there and there was some, some writing on the wall. Like people had been talking about Eric Bledsoe to the Bucks for quite some time since Phoenix has kind of been on a, on a downswing um, for, well, shit, I don't know, 10 years, maybe. I don't know. Nonetheless. <laughs> um, but like, so when he came, there was a lot of excitement. It was kind of that, that point guard that, um, that a lot of people felt Giannis needed as kind of a secondary scoring option. And, and somebody could, who could take some of the ball handling uh, capabilities 
uh, or not capabilities, but responsibilities away from Giannis. Uh, ultimately, what, what do you think contributed to him maybe not necessarily filling that void that, that people were hoping he was going to be able to fill? Well, so I think, I think one of the main issues is I think a lot of people are probably certainly colored by his outrageously poor playoff performance. I, that was probably the worst stretch of basketball Bucks fans saw from him for sure. the last two and a half months. So that, you know, that, that was sort of out of character for him. But I, I think one of the issues that it, it does stem from um, are, you know, people might say he has like issues shooting and that kind of thing, uh, which is certainly the case. But I mean, he shot around 34, 35% from three, which I, I think is more than respectable, especially when with the likes of Michael Carter Williams around for a couple of years, uh, you know, Brick City. But, <laughs> I'm all about that. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> and, but, uh, I, you know, I think one of the main issues that Eric Bledsoe had was sometimes he just wouldn't really play within himself. He was so used to on those, uh, as you described them, and of course we know them, shit Phoenix teams of having to be sort of the main driver and the main guy in charge, you know, he had like that, that really, really good year. I forget when it was a year, year and a half ago or so. And then they just shut him down. But he was so used to being the man, the man in charge that he would get into these, these fits where he would just pick, get a rebound or something, run down, shoot a, a terrible mid range shot with like 20 seconds left on the, on the shot clock or whatever, 16 seconds. He wouldn't look to facilitate at all. He would start to pound the rock. There would be no ball movement at all. He would just try and go it alone. And uh, you know, he had one of his worst free throw rates, in a couple of years. So one would have hoped that if at least he's going to freelance, he's just going to, you know, shovel his way to the basket with his strength, but he didn't quite have that same rate as in years past. So I think one of the main issues was he just didn't play within himself or the team construct, which is something that I'm really hoping, you know, might improve under Mike Budenholzer. So I, I think when he did, honestly, his best games were when he shot around 12 shots. That was like my ideal Eric Bledsoe line is, you know, if he's, if he's shooting like between 12 and 14 shots, I'm happy with it. If he's getting, getting up around 18, some of those are probably clunkers that we don't need. Right. Absolutely. So a couple things on that. Um, and I know you mentioned, you know, Bud and, and him recently getting hired. Um, even with all the chaos with the team and Jason Kidd getting fired um, and then, you know, Prunty taking over um, to whatever capability he even had the means of taking over. Uh, <laughs> uh, ultimately, it, 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 was a, it was a job that he was holding down for the, the next person. Um, even with all that chaos, you guys still took the Bucks. I mean, pardon me, the Celtics, to seven games um, in the playoffs. Did that give anybody a sense of, like, not necessarily relief, but some excitement going into this coming year? Because there's still, there's still some, some, some clear uh, items that need to be addressed in this offseason, uh, one being Jabari Parker, for sure. Yeah, yeah, of course. And Jabari Parker will be, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about him more. He's going to be a primary thing this offseason. But I think the Celtics series, it's weird how well that Celtics series is aging now after, you know, they kind of, they didn't take apart the Sixers, but they were able to win in five and they've really given the the Cavaliers a a good run for their money here. I think there was the main thing that people got excited about in that were probably around two two different players was Chris Middleton, who is is a very fine player. A little divisive among Bucks fans, but he really stepped up in that playoff series. I mean, he hit a huge deep three in game one, but I mean, ultimately it was like that, and that was an outrageous shot. But then, I mean, he was just taking guys on the wing no matter what. And he's been uh, someone who Bucks fans want to shoot more threes all the time. Hopefully that happens next year under Bud. But I mean, he was scoring at, at will against guys, getting mismatches on the wing. So his ascendance, I think, has really already bled into this offseason. You know, he was one of the guys who met with Mike Budenholzer. It's clear he's the number two on the team right now. Um, you know, we'll see if that ever changes. But it, obviously, in terms of pecking order, I think the playoffs were huge for giving Bucks fans a, a good idea of what Chris Middleton's capable of. 
And then the other guy is Thon Maker, and uh, I don't know. Thon, Thon Maker is I don't understand. Uh, like his playoff I, Thon is just such a different player. <laughs> it, believe me, I think if any, if, if, if even like the Bucks organization understood it, smart, far smarter basketball minds than us don't understand it. So I, I'm not even going to pretend to understand it. But it, it, it was absolutely bizarre. I mean, this guy regressed in so many ways from the year prior. He wasn't rebounding at all he couldn't even make the make the court I mean Tyler Zeller was easily beating him out for minutes and Bucks fans had no issues with that I mean Thon was an absolute negative the entire year all of his stats were atrocious for a big guy and then he comes in uh and I, and I think it was just pretty clear that he was just being either being misused or, or 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 mismanaged so in a lot of those games where he was so successful it was just their Bucks were switching almost everything that they could which is really what the only thing that he should really be doing is he can't highly handle himself at the rim but he is slightly agile enough to take guys on the perimeter so it was it would but it was it was absolutely bizarre to see playoff thon turn into that kind of beast that blocking beast really energizing the team i think in, in a lot right. of those games so i think those are really the two big takeaways that people are going to take going into next year um you know b- beyond that you know it was nice, it was good to see jabari parker actually start to show up in some of those games because in games one and two he looked like he would have much rather just like been on the bench or watching i don't know in a nearby restaurant so (laughs) it was really it was really good to see him at least start to look like a competent player and he had like one half of defense that people were losing their minds over uh you know which was i guess enough to give people some hope but um, I think really the main two things are uh, Chris Middleton and, and, and Thon Maker that we should take away from that series. Yeah, and like the Jabari thing was weird because he was clearly upset with his role in the mm-hmm. playoffs and, and was very vocal about that. And then to your point, you know, he had a couple games later in, in the series where, you know, he kind of showed out and um, really was that offensive spark plug that they needed uh, in a few of those games. But but now he's entering this offseason where, you know, the, the Bucks hold his rights and, and ultimately have a decision to make here if they want to, let him test free agency, maybe bring him back for like a one plus one. There's a lot of, there's a lot of weird potential options that they could approach with, with Jabari here because, you know, last season before he got hurt again was, was demonstrating some really superior and, 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 you know, really great scoring capabilities and, and was even looking like a a solid number two next to Giannis um, to then, you know, experience a knee injury again. Um, Ultimately, what do you think the Bucks? decide to do as it pertains to Jabari this summer right well I mean yeah that's the million dollar question this summer it's so it's so hard to parcel through the the weird nebulous narrative that he's gone through I would say within the past year and a half you're right he I mean last year he I think fans were starting to warm up to him as as the kind of guy who could be a number two I know there was a pretty still large vocal contingent who um, knew that in large part his on off numbers really showed that the Bucks were you know, negative when he was on and right and, positive when he was off which was always rather frustrating but I mean when at the end of the day he showed a like, clear scoring ability that uh, I think is obviously extremely useful in, in the playoffs I think being able to uh, take guys one-on-one and in isolation because the Bucks really don't have that many good isolation players as good as Giannis is he's not a great isolation scorer he doesn't quite have the skills for that yet hopefully he will as he gets a maybe if he gets a better shot we'll see we've been talking about that for five years but um, I think for Jabari Parker you know ultimately I think he ends up returning to the Bucks, and maybe it's just on a one-year deal or something. I, I, I don't realistically think the Bucks are going to find any decent, you know, sign and trade partners. I don't know how many teams, there aren't that many teams with cap space this summer. I don't know how many teams are super interested in a guy who's had two ACL tears, showed a little bit of scoring punch, but didn't show quite that much this past year. Obviously his three-point shooting has improved a lot, which I think probably gives a lot of teams hope, but 
I think ultimately he's going to end up returning to the Bucks on just sort of a, a show me deal where he just wants to resuscitate his value and, and hope he doesn't get hurt anymore because I don't think there are that many teams willing to try and uh, give the Bucks sort of a poison pill restricted offer sheet to Jabari and see if the Bucks will bite because I the Bucks offered him a you know a three year fifty four million dollar deal reportedly according to Zach Lowe back in the fall and they turned it down which um, you know seems like that would have been a pretty good deal for Jabari right now but I really think that he's just not going to find the sort of market that he's looking for. He's going to end up coming back to the Bucks on, on a show me deal. And we'll see. I don't know. Hopefully if he doesn't get hurt. Um, I'm, I'm a big Jabari fan. I still don't know if he really necessarily fits with this team. Uh, I think he's a great guy, but uh, I think ultimately what's going to happen is going to, is he's just going to end up coming back to the Bucks without, um, I don't know, on a, some sort of small deal and hopefully he'll be able to make more money in the long run. Yeah. I have this weird suspicion because the thing with him is he's a part of this class with with Andrew Wiggins and Joel Embiid where, mm-hmm. you know, both of those guys got maxed out. And, and this may be a bit of a stretch, but some could argue that last year Jabari at his healthiest and, and clearly, you know, his best NBA season to date um, has been more of a plus to his team than even Andrew Wiggins, for that matter, who hasn't had any real injury problems, um, but still, you know, continues to be a problem on the offensive end and is pretty one-dimensional. I mean, pardon me, on the defensive end. Um, it's still fairly one-dimensional on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, and then a guy like Joel Embiid, who basically played 31 games in his first three NBA seasons, um, is is also maxed out. So he's in, the, he's in this weird class where the guys that went ahead of him who also got maxed out um, don't necessarily have a substantially larger sample size that dictates why they get paid higher than him. Um, I just have this weird suspicion and maybe this is just like conspiracy theorists, but I have this feeling that, that the Jazz are going to let Derek Favors walk and bring Jabari on a much cheaper contract and give themselves that potential scoring punch that they lacked, you know, having Donovan Mitchell kind of be their number one um, mm-hmm. and maybe giving Jabari a shot um, in Utah who will welcome him with open arms, with, with open warming arms and just bring <laughs> him into the fold. And it just feels like this reclamation project that's almost, it feels like it's almost like Joe Smith wrote it in the stars. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting scenario. I, I forget where I heard it, but I think I felt like I heard someone talking about potentially like a like a Derek Favors, Jabari Parker sign and trade or something. Right. Um, so I I I think you sending talking about him to Utah might be an interesting scenario. Especially, I think you're right. They saw that they clearly needed a little more scoring punch. Donovan Mitchell is great, but um, they need a little more help up front. Uh, and Jabari Parker would obviously give them that. They you know because I don't know I don't know where they're really going with. Dante Exum and you know some of those other guys they just aren't they don't really necessarily seem ready to step up and, and Joe right. Ingles is great but uh you know he's I don't know he's he's a man in his role so the, right. yeah, yeah if that's the that second best scoring option you have on your team <laughs> you're destined to finish uh in the second round at best yeah 100 percent. so yeah I think uh, I think out of all the scenarios that one I could kind of see that uh that uh premonition potentially coming true I um I, I just you know I, I think that would make sense for him to try and I also think there might be a part of him that maybe just wants to go somewhere else and have a fresh start. I, right. I don't know. I mean, it's been like, obviously he's been like beloved in the Milwaukee community. He has done so many good things for people here. He's, he says all the best things. Um, but I also know that this is a guy who, I mean, was on the, the cover of uh, national magazines as a high schooler. He's been, you know, a, a huge name for years and years. He hopes and, and still believes in himself wholeheartedly. He's a super positive guy. He thinks he's going to be able to get back to, I'm sure in his, in his own mind, he thinks he's going to get back to definitely the place that he was and, and take his right place upon the totem pole. But he's had to sort of sit by and watch as Chris Middleton goes by him, as Giannis Antetokounmpo goes by him, and they both ascend the the totem pole here in Milwaukee. Meanwhile, 
he was the guy who was originally drafted to sort of be the person who was going to save the whole team. You know, he was right. the highest draft pick the Bucks have had uh, in a long time, basically since Andrew Bogut. Um, so I, I think it, there, there probably is a, a small part of him that maybe, you know, struggles with that. Yeah, absolutely. So the last thing I want to talk about here, um, and we haven't really dove into this conversation yet, but mm-hmm. um, so uh, Coach Pronti's fired. They pretty quickly bring in Mike Budenholzer. Um, and now he's coming into this team that has some pretty high expectations going into next season, especially having a star like uh, like Giannis. And this is kind of one of those those teeter-totter type seasons where this season could make or break Giannis's relationship with Milwaukee and whether or not he wants to stick around long-term. Uh, if they don't start to show some signs of improvement. So um, ultimately, when the hire was made, uh, what were your impressions? What were your uh, emotions or feelings about, you know, having Bud as, as the new head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks? Well, I was one of the guys who was pretty pro-Bud from the outset. I know there were there were a lot of people who wanted them to look at Nick Nurse or, or Chris Finch, obviously some of these prominent assistants who were out there. It doesn't sound like they really looked at them. Said they just like had a shuttle bus from San Antonio come up and every, like every single assistant came up and interviewed with them. But I ultimately think Bud was was probably the best choice for the job. Some people have talked about him being a little safe, which I, I think it could be a little safe. You know, taking one of those younger assistants might have been swinging for the fences. But I think you touched on the exact reason why I think Bud is was the best choice for the job right now is that we are in a bit of a tenuous situation here. And it feels like it a lot more now than I think it did at the beginning of the year. And I, sometimes these like ticking clock, people who talk about how the, the clock is ticking already with Giannis feels a little doomsday. I mean, he still has three years left. The Bucks control him and all that kind of stuff. So I think the Bucks are ultimately in a really good spot, but I think you're totally right that it's important that the Bucks show clear progress this year, show clear ascension towards the type of place that Giannis wants to go. He puts in an incredible amount of time. I mean, this is a guy who, when they lose, he just gets out of the, gets out of the locker room, drives to a, a gym or wherever and starts, works out until like 3 a.m. So he's absolutely nuts about basketball. So I think the organization needed to show a clear commitment to getting better right now. And if they took one of those younger coaches, yeah, maybe maybe they have higher upside. I don't know. I think none of us really know with any of these coaches. But I know Bud has the opportunity and the proven track record to take a team uh, of, of disparate parts or maybe that were misused and, and turn them into something that's a lot more effective. And I think that will ultimately play super well with Giannis because I think he needs to see improvement uh, sooner rather than later. And I think ultimately that Bud's the kind of guy who still can show the progression later that we're looking for. I think if he resuscitates value for a lot of guys on the roster, you know, gets Chris Middleton to shoot more threes, teaches Tony Snell to believe himself, believe in himself, uh, which is a weird thing that we have to keep saying about Tony Snell. We experienced that for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we have to kind of keep, keep petting him, make sure he knows he's doing well. Uh, you know, we have guys like Sterling Brown, Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, I mean, these are the type of, of, of wing and not necessarily supreme athletes, at least in Malcolm Brogdon's case, but these are the type of wing people that Bud specialized at Hawks University in Atlanta. I mean, he turned uh, Kent Bazemore into a guy who made way too much money. Uh, he turned Tim Hardaway Jr. into a guy who made way too much money. Turned DeMar Carroll into a guy who made way too much money. Now, hopefully, <laughs> he can turn to these guys and the players who make the right amount of money. Um, Tony Snell might make a little too much right now. But, I mean, ho- the hope is that he can, you know, lift, um, you know, hopefully he's the rising tide that lifts all the boats here. And uh, Giannis can sort of be at the head of that. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what happens with that too. Because like I know we talked about Jabari potentially or maybe leaving, but I'm I am excited to see because that is Bud's track record. I'm excited to see what he can do with a guy like Tony Snell and, and a guy like Chris Middleton and, and even Jabari for that matter. If, you know, he mm-hmm. does kind of have that that special touch. Now he doesn't have his entire assistant coach staff with him, um, but for you know people have left his 
his system and gone elsewhere. And he still kind of had the same um, just improvement level from his, his wing players um, on a regular basis. And, and really like the starting three of the, three out of the starting five for, for the bucks uh, potentially going into next year are essentially, you know, kind of six, seven to six, eight, six, nine ish wing players um, who, if he could have an impact and, and maybe even help them on the defensive end and get them back to that defensive identity that they had a couple of years ago with Jason Kidd. Um, yeah. I mean, sky's the limit. I've always, I mean, to your point, Bud was kind of a, for me was a safe hire because um, he does have some pedigree. He's had some really, really solid Atlanta Hawks teams there a couple of years ago um, and really made a lot out of not a little, but less than what people would have expected out of those teams. Um, so I'm interested to see what he can do with them. Ultimately, I thought maybe they'd wait a little bit longer, see what whether the coaches were going to get fired as a result of the playoffs ending, and then maybe just kind of see it go. I, I was surprised they didn't give Dwayne Casey an option uh, to, to interview or just give him a shot. But um, yeah, ultimately, I'm excited to see what, what Bud can do with that team. Um, so going into this offseason, what would you like to see the Bucks do? What major changes or major moves um, or additions, for that matter, would you like to see them do that you think would then help them step up to that next level and maybe maybe even get a top five seed top four seed next year yeah i mean the top top four seed is something that bucks fans have pined for years and years that and winning a playoff series i know we we have the longest stretch without winning a playoff series since 01 so i mean even if we just yawned around two bud would probably deserve like a, a statue like the bronze fawn statue that we have outside <laughs> milwaukee but uh i you know it, it's hard with the bucks talking about it acquisitions i mean this team is so cap strapped they they've just signed too many players to long-term deals that have aged poorly as the, right. as the cap didn't go up like it did i mean delhi is still making eight million dollars a year to be scruffy uh you know john henson is making 11 million a year that one i'll tony, never understand tony snell's making 10 and a half i mean, I mean well honest, honestly john henson made that contract just because he looked good against the bulls in that one playoff series <laughs> yeah uh, you're so welcome th- <laughs> thanks for that too yeah uh <laughs> you know so i mean the there's just a lot of there's a lot of dead weight on this roster that's really dragging the team down. I mean, thankfully, honestly, Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton in like that in that fifteen million dollar range are, are relative steals at this moment. But there's just not a lot of cap space for the Bucks to work with. I, you know, they're they're hitting up close to the luxury tax. Um, you know, even if they sign Jabari to a, a decent deal, they're going to be really getting really close to that luxury tax number. Um, I know they have the they have the mid level exception, which is probably their most powerful tool this year, which is I think it's around eight and a half million or so. So they could really bring in someone who could be a valuable veteran contributor, maybe someone who is looking to um, jo- join a team that wants an additional score, wants to take a step up. Maybe it's someone that uh, you know. I hope it's not necessarily someone that Bud has just like liked in the past or worked before, because that is something Jason Kidd loved to do. Is he would just bring in all these people that he just loved in the past, he, or he just fell in love with, and then fell out of love with them. I mean, he loved Mirza Toledovich for years and I'm sad what, what happened with Toledovich, but um, you know, he, sometimes he would just pine for these guys, get them in and then just turn on them when they weren't performing. But, you know, in terms of acquisitions, I think really, uh, you know, the Bucks could use um, another forward, to be honest. I, what they really need is, I mean, Giannis was playing incredible amount of minutes and, you know, obviously it's a little bit easier now with Jabari Parker back, but, there weren't a lot of good fours to fit in. I mean, Chris Middleton was ending up sliding down to the four at times, which is and works well in like some wonky lineups, but I don't really know if that's his optimum long-term position at all. Uh, the Bucks drafted DJ Wilson last year. 
He played like 69 minutes this year was absolutely atrocious. I, I haven't seen a rookie like look this lost in a, in a long time. And the Bucks just had Rashad Vaughn like three years ago. And he, looked, he, he looked just as lost. Uh, maybe, maybe looked less lost, but at least he got like a thousand minutes or something. His crappy rookie year. But you know, if DJ Wilson somehow turns into a guy who can just, all he needs to do is just shoot threes. He just needs to shoot threes and like kind of be a large man at the basket, which I don't know, apparently seems impossible for him, even though he's like 6'10". Um, I, I really think it'd be nice if they could bring in some sort of veteran forward who sort of in like in Mirza Toledovich's ilk, I think they really missed him this year. Just some guy who's willing to just come up, shoot threes, uh, space the floor for Giannis so that he can get in there because there's already a few little spacing issues between having Eric Bledsoe and Giannis out there because both of those guys really need to drive to the rim. So if, if they're able to find a guy who just kind of wants to launch away from deep, can at least be a bo- like a body and body up against forwards, um, you know, I, I really think that would be helpful. And, you know, maybe a, maybe like a shooting guard who can create off the dribble a bit. They really haven't had that much at all. Eric Bledsoe has been one of the few guys who can create off the dribble. Malcolm Brogdon can do some of it, but most of his um, is kind of driving to the rim and some of his pull-ups look a little rough. He was a little better last year than his rookie year, but, I really think they could use a guy who could at least create off the at least create off the dribble because God knows Jason Terry wasn't doing that last year, uh, and Matthew Delvadova is going to do that. So I, you know, if they got a little shooting guard help, someone who could create his own shot, uh, I don't really, you know Shabazz Muhammad like to do that, but he I just don't need him back. <laughs> uh, he, he likes it a little too much. He just, sure, <laughs> he's he just strikes me as the type of guy who who will hit two shots and just has that irrational confidence where he'll come in and be like, guys. I got this. And then everybody else in the stadium is like, please, Shabazz, please pass the ball. Um, well, I'm glad you brought that up because I do have a hypothetical question. And I just want to throw this out there. So okay. I'm Neil O'Shea and I give you a call and I say, hey, I'm willing to trade CJ McCollum for, let's say, Chris Middleton and another contract for filler to, to match up the salaries. Do you pull the trigger? I don't pull the trigger. Uh, and I think it's because one, um, but, you know, I don't think Chris Middleton's next contract will be any higher than McCollum's. McCollum's making like what, 25 million a year. So I don't think, I don't think Chris Middleton's contract will be significantly higher than that since the cap is around where it is. And I don't, I don't know if McCollum's the kind of guy defensively who I want um, on this team. I think that Chris Middleton offers more on the defensive end than McCollum does. And yeah, McCollum, I don't know. Is McCollum like McCollum can't be that much younger. But um, yeah, he might I don't be know. like twenty eight, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I think that's something. That's something I would say no to. Although I like hypotheticals, and in the past I have been someone who's <laughs> been a little more open to thinking about trading Chris Middleton. Uh, and I think ultimately he could be a guy that, if the Bucks really want to get a huge talent upgrade, I mean, he's someone who was rumored in the Kyrie Irving trades potentially last year. Right. Um, you know, he's someone who probably has the most value outside of Giannis right now. So. If that's someone the Bucks were looking to deal, uh, I'd be open to it, but it, probably not for McCollum. Got it. Okay, one more then. One more okay. hypothetical, and this will be the last one. So Indiana calls and says, hey, we want to make a little shakeup here. We want to give you Miles Turner, mm-hmm. and in exchange, we'd like, mm, let's say, I feel like Eric Bledsoe and Victor Oladipo are a little redundant, but Let's say in that case, they're saying, okay, we want to give you Miles Turner plus another for Chris Middleton. So let's say, I'm trying to think who on, on the Pacers roster would make, even make sense in that trade. But nonetheless, a guy like like Miles Turner who can maybe solidify that five spot, even solidify the defensive end of things, mm-hmm. is that something that you as a, as a Bucks fan would be interested in? 
That one definitely intrigues me more. I've liked Miles Turner for a few years. I know he he seemed to fall back a little bit this last year. I don't know, just watching from afar. Um, I think I might be more open to that. It'd be hard to match salaries because I would probably want Indiana to like take back John Hansen or something in yeah. exchange because I just want them to like take dollars uh, if yep. they're going to get someone as proven right now as Chris Middleton. But uh, that's that, that. I would definitely be more inclined to work that one out than the one with CJ McCollum because I think, you know, whatever people think of Thumbmaker and you know that kind of stuff, I absolutely don't think a, a, a you know ten game playoff sample size is worth investing that much money in right now or even faith. So, but I think someone like Miles Turner has been someone that I've liked for a while, and I think he would give uh, Giannis a good front court partner defensively, and I think he can stretch the floor decently well too. And now looking at the roster, you're probably going to get Al Jefferson out of that trade. <laughs> so oh, good. Enjoy well, it. The perfect. We loved Greg Monroe here for a few <laughs> years. You know, we just want a, we just want an older, less sturdy version of him. Okay. I actually thought of one more, and I promise this will be the last one. Oh, that's fine. Miami calls you. Okay. And they say, we're looking for a trade partner for Hassan Whiteside. Are you interested? No, no. Get, get out of here. Get out of here, Riley. That, I completely agree with that. Yeah, don't, yeah, don't try and pull that one off on, one on us. Yeah, I can hear your rings. It was worth a shot. It was worth yeah. a shot. Awesome. Well, Adam, um, where can the people find you online? How can they get in, in contact with you? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm at, at Adam R. Paris uh, on Twitter. You can follow me on there. I tweet occasionally about Buck stuff. Um, you can follow Brew Hoop on Twitter. It's a, it's a great follow. Uh, or shout out to... Uh, uh, the person who handles that, Rachel, she does an awesome job. Um, that one's at Brewhoop, pretty easy to remember. And then uh, go to brewhoop.com. I, you know, co-managing editor with uh, my man Mitchell Maurer, um, and uh, we have an awesome staff over there. So yeah, any Bucks news at all, head to brewhoop.com. For sure, awesome. And of course, guys, you know where to find us at MBA Pod on Twitter, on Instagram. You can find me at J underscore Kilos on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. Give us five stars if you feel so inclined to do so. Uh, keep enjoying the episodes. We just put one out yesterday. Or pardon me. Uh, what is it? Monday. So this is coming out Monday. So Wednesday of last week. Doesn't fucking matter. Uh, another <laughs> one's coming out on Friday too. Uh, give us five stars. Rate and review the podcast. You can always contact us at the Yay Network at gmail.com. Uh, for Adam, for Jay, this has been MBA. We're out. <laughs> <laughs>